right, there he goes, Jeff Howe. Check out horns247.com. They'll be all over the news that every Texas fan is going to be all over for the rest of the week. Quinn Ewers will start for the Longhorns this Saturday against TCU. Steve Sarkeesian made the announcement during a Zoom press conference, oh, 20, 30 minutes or so ago. And uh, we're talking about it today, and we're talking about all sorts of randomness right here on the award-winning Midday with Trey and BK. What's up, big dog? How you doing? I'm good, man. I just got done playing four hours of sand volleyball. So if I seem a little bit loopy or spacey, that's probably part of the reason why. I just scarfed a bunch of food, delicious sandwich from Ike's and some chips, and I'm in the middle of a chocolate chip cookie here. But it's been a good start to the day so far. And then to hear the Quinn Ewers news... Or I guess I technically read it about 10 minutes ago. That's exciting. And while I hope for Quinn that he is able to avoid re-injuring that shoulder, I think that he understands what's at stake right now and how you really can't take any of these matchups for granted going forward. Yep, and Quinn Ewers cannot be taking any shots going forward either. He can't be trying to lower his shoulder to pick up a couple of extra yards like he did against Houston, like he did against Oklahoma. Like, I think this Texas offense will be modified on Saturday. I think Quinn will be getting the ball out quicker than he ever has to try to avoid any hits. But also when he does take off and run, if he still does take off and run, he's got to make sure he's willing to give himself up. Because like you said, uh, one more shot to that air conditioner, then he might be done for the rest of the year. And obviously Texas has bigger issues at hand. And I know that he jostled the injury on that shot that he took in the Houston game, but the crazy thing about AC joint injuries oftentimes is that the fall looks pretty innocuous, but it's how you land on that shoulder to get the AC joint to pop out of place like that. It was a sack in the third quarter that did it, and unfortunately he was probably p playing through a little bit of discomfort and pain, and you saw a lot of checkdowns after that sack in the third quarter. But for him to have uh, gone into that hit like he did, he tried to do the smart thing and turn his left shoulder into it. But unfortunately, it was such a violent collision that it may have made things worse at that very moment. Yeah, it definitely didn't help, right? We don't know yeah. for sure if it made things worse, but uh, clearly taking that type of shot is not going to make things better for you. So uh, this is good. Look, it's it's been three weeks. This is not like a historically fast return to action for Quinn Ewers, right? The initial timeline that we heard was two to four weeks. So we're right smack dab in the middle of that thing. And you talked about it, Trey, you and I both talked about it on Tuesday after Sark's Monday presser. Kind of felt like the medical staff had cleared Quinn Ewers. Yeah. Kind of felt like Sark felt like, okay, hey, maybe Ewers is ready. And it just sort of felt like it was up to Quinn and kind of a pain tolerance thing. Like, hey, man, go through practice this week. How do you feel? How do you feel during practice? How do you feel after practice? How do you feel when you wake up the next morning? And I guess uh, every single box was checked and and Quinn made the decision and everyone is in cahoots that this thing is uh, ready to roll. Well, Sark's been in and around football for long enough to know that there's going to be some reluctance on the kid's side. So he just has to get out there and test it a little bit. And I think the point that you made is a great one that they, Steve Sarkeesian, has a flaw, and that flaw is sometimes not catering his offense to what his players are capable of or what he has at his disposal. This week of any is so important that you are protecting him at least early into this football game and giving a, ch a chance to get into the flow while not taking those shots. And obviously they're going to be emphasizing or maybe even re-emphasizing to him that he doesn't need to pick up that extra yard or two. Uh, even if it's near the end of the game and it's a tight win, like you have to think – of uh, your need to be out there the rest of the way as well. And uh, there's a fine line there, obviously, because he's a competitor and he's going to want to pick up that extra yardage. But 
He has to know the uh, the reaggravation of the injury is uh, is something that is it's pretty likely with an AC joint injury, especially if you're not back to 100% just yet. So get down, please. And Steve Sarkeesian, please, please, maybe run the football a little bit more, but definitely quicker passes whenever he's dropping back. He's not going to shy away from passing altogether. That's not Steve Sarkeesian's style, and I think that would be a bad idea too, but it's just the types of plays that you're calling for him early on. Think about what he did with Malik Murphy these last couple of weeks where he gave him uh, very easy throws to start the game. I would love to see a game plan similar to that, that even if it means you are throwing a little bit more than you are pa- um, uh, than you are running early against TCU. Are you uh, okay with this decision? Like, uh, there's no way Quinn Ewers is 100%. Maybe he's 90%, 95%. I don't know. But are you okay with this move, even if he's uh, not 100% right just yet? I was very concerned at the start of this week, and that hasn't really ebbed at all, that if Malik Murphy is the quarterback on Saturday, there is a a high probability of upset alert because we've seen him so up and down, but the down is like Tyrone Swoops' first handful of starts down. Now, Malik Murphy is a better quarterback than Tyrone Swoops, but I'm talking about that level of quarterback play when things were looking ugly for him. And that was two home games, BK, against uh, one inferior opponent, of course, in BYU, and then Kansas State, who's decent defensively. They're not world beaters defensively, though, necessarily. The road environment makes it an even tougher task for him, and I think it opens up the likelihood that we see more of those mistakes early in the game, and that's where it was concerning. As Texas, um, I know that the first interception against BYU is still a close game, but Texas is up by enough against Kansas State that they were able to withstand just a truly putrid offensive performance in the second half until that final drive. Mm-hmm. Fall down by a couple of touchdowns on the road going into halftime uh, with a quarterback that you all of a sudden can't trust at all to throw the football. It obviously makes things significantly more difficult. And Texas is at a point in this particular season where they can't afford a slip like that. No, I'm with you. And uh, the Vegas line has already changed for this one. Before the Quinn Ewers news dropped, Texas was a 10-point favorite. Now, less than a half an hour after the Ewers news, Texas is a 12-point favorite, and I wouldn't be surprised if that line continues to go in Texas's favor. I actually think that it will be maybe an 8- to 10-point game. So okay. I understand why it moved because Quinn Ewers is in there. Um, but uh, even with Quinn in there, I don't think you're going to see them looking to sling it all over the place. I think that they are going to ride the ground attack a little bit more, and we're going to see a a stout level of defense too. But TCU is capable of throwing the football, even though uh, Hoover does throw some uh, some interceptions here and there. He's also had some big yardage games too and uh, found his teammates for touchdowns as well. So I think ultimately Texas does take care of business. It's probably a two-score game when it's all said and done, but I I don't think we see the Longhorns blow the doors off of TCU this weekend. I literally just refreshed my ESPN app, and the line is up to 12.5. So, yeah. (laughs) It's happening right now. Um, maybe you answered the question talking about TCU's passing game, but like, wh- what about TCU scares you? Be- literally, the only thing about TCU that scares me is the fact that they're TCU, and they have just dominated this matchup over the last eleven years. But like, looking at this year in a vacuum, comparing the two teams, going matchup by matchup, I, I really can't find anything that tells me TCU should even keep this game close let alone find a way to win. So what what worries you most about uh, this game? Why do you think this one could come down to the wire? 
they've had some successes throwing the football. And I think I'm still skeptical. I don't think I am still skeptical of this Texas defense and their ability to cover receivers. So a lot of that comes down to the front four or five getting pressure on the TCU quarterback on those obvious passing downs to make life a little bit easier for the secondary guys behind them. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned it. Josh Huber does have some good passing yardages, had 353 last week in the loss in Lubbock, had four. 439 in TCU's win against BYU. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's still just a redshirt freshman quarterback making a lot of the mistakes that we've seen Malik Murphy make. And TCU yeah. just doesn't have the talent around him that Malik Murphy did to where they can overcome that. So yeah, yeah I'm just, I'm not worried about him, man. I'm really not. And if that, in in both of those games, if I'm not mistaken, I believe he threw an interception or two in each yeah. of those games. So yeah, he's thrown at least one pick in all four of his starts and he's thrown six total interceptions and, his four starts, seven on the season. Like he came into their first game in mop-up duty and threw a pick. Like this dude has been prone to turn it over, and this Texas defense in the last three weeks has been uh, very prone to creating those turnovers. That's a good combo for for the Horns. No doubt about that. Yeah. So that's like I, I I'm worried about this because I am a sports warrior. Uh, but I just like looking at TCU's record. They're four and five. They haven't beaten anybody half decent. No, like none of their four wins came against teams that were in a power five conference last year. They've beaten an FCS team. They've beaten SMU and they've beaten Houston and they've beaten BYU. Mm-hmm. And I brought this up. I'm sorry if I brought this up to you yesterday, but I know I brought this up to Bucky and to Jeff. Like TCU's five losses that they have only played one of the top five teams in the big 12. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, they lost to Kansas state 41 to three. They have not played Texas. They have not played Oklahoma. They will not play Oklahoma State, and they will not play Kansas. So it's not like, you know, your mark decided to just screw TCU and, now let's give these guys a really, really tough schedule. It's not like NFL rules where, hey, you have a really good year. You you go first in the regular season in your division the year before. We're going to give you the hardest schedule. No, it's not like it's been like that. Like, TCU has lost to average teams in this Big 12, and they've only beaten bad teams in this Big 12. So anything can happen. I thought the Texas-Houston game was going to be a blowout. And we've seen uh, inferior TCU teams give Texas all sorts of fits in the last 11 seasons. But this is just, I mean, there are a couple of random stats you can look at that say, oh, maybe TCU's not as bad as their record indicates. But when you look at who they've played, to me, it's like, oh, no, maybe they're actually worse than their record indicates. Yeah, that's a good point. They've been pretty bad on the road in conference play, too. I know they had that very first win at Houston but they lost to an Iowa State team that uh, isn't uh, well. I know I know what their record was heading into last weekend's game versus Kansas. But offensively, they stink. They gave up 27 points in that game, and uh, they lose to Texas Tech this last weekend. And I know Tech is trying to salvage its season right now, but Texas Tech is also not very good. I think they're still playing a third-string quarterback now. Taj Brooks is has the chance to be special at that running back position for them. They can only give him the ball so many times though. So for them to have lost handily to uh, Texas Tech and Lubbock too is uh, something to pay attention to, but this is a home game for them. So uh, obviously though, those circumstances are not in play just yet, but I think if Texas can find a way to, uh, to strike early, they can neutralize what is going to be a, uh, a purple heavy crowd. There will be some Texas fans there, but there's going to be a lot of TCU folks looking to cheer against Texas that one final time. Think back to the game in Waco for the Longhorns and how they were really able to dominate that game from the jump. I'd like to see something similar this Saturday to uh, to take the crowd out of it and to uh, to really 
not to say that you can hit cruise control because we've seen what's happened in two of the last three games now, but make life much easier for yourself by really just continuing to fit, play a physical brand of defense, maybe hand it off a little bit more in the second half and milk what is a 10, 14, 21-point lead. Man, that Waco game was awesome. Like, I would love for a replication of that. I mean, that's the last really complete football game that Texas has played this season, right? Because they jumped out to that big lead. They had a 21-point second quarter. You felt like the game was over at halftime, but that game actually was over at halftime. Yeah. Right? There was no collapse like you had against Houston. There was no collapse like you had against Kansas State. Like, that's that's the last true four-quarter performance Texas had. And, hey, it happened on the road against a pretty bad football team. Like that, that's where you're at this week. Like, I think TCU's better than Baylor. But, once again, I don't think TCU's all that good. So, just do what you did in Waco. It's been almost two months since that game happened. So I, I don't know if you can predict something like that to happen again, but uh, Texas has done it before to where they've gone on the road in a decently hostile environment against a team that really wants to beat Texas one final time. And uh, they took the crowd out early and they just really embodied the all gas, no breaks, which by the way, it feels like everybody hates that right now. Uh, considering how many times Texas has sort of tapped the brakes with big leads in the last month, but they they did that in Waco, and hopefully they do that in in Fort Worth one final time. Should be chilly yeah. this weekend, by the way. Not supposed to be raining in Fort Worth on Saturday, but I mean, CB says could be in the mid forties for kickoff. Mm-hmm. I actually like that because I think this helps get the team pre- prepared for what is going to be even colder conditions in Ames, and they should have part of next week to get to practice in cooler temperatures outside, but that's part of the tricky nature of going and playing a game in Ames in mid-November is that weather is significantly different than uh, what it is in Austin right now. It's kind of like opponents who come into Austin in September and have to deal with the 100-degree heat, and if there's a ridiculous heat index, something along those lines, and how Texas is better conditioned for those situations. Yep, They're not used to the cold. Tristan Nicholson talked about this with Jeff Barker and me a couple weeks ago on the Monday show from one to three, there was a year that they went to Ames. I think it was a Halloween game and they were all freezing their asses off and they were never able to get warmed up. And Iowa state took it to them as a result. I don't think that's going to happen this year necessarily, but the temperatures are a potential factor. So for them to get a game that's starting in the forties and is only going to get colder because the sun will be down by that point in time. I like uh, adding that to uh, everything else going on with this weekend's game in Fort Worth. I think Texas lost the coldest game that it's played this year. That was the game in Dallas. I mean, mm, they played a cold cool. weather game this year. Like the the at Alabama was hot. Yep. Obviously, all the games here have been hot. At Houston is gross. The Baylor game was hot. Like uh, the OU game was in the seventies too. So that's we've we have not had weather issues at all this season. It, I guess no. if anything, it's been too hot. That that can be an issue for some. We've seen some cramping in these games, obviously, but. In terms of having to deal with cold or rain, uh, Texas has avoided that. They might get their first taste of uh, some cold weather in Fort Worth, funny enough, in the state of Texas this Saturday against TCU. All right, we'll take your thoughts on Texas and TCU. We'll continue to talk more about this game throughout the day. And as we uh, keep things rolling here at Texas Sports Unfiltered, we are live until 5 o'clock today. And tomorrow, a quick shout out, though, to our friends at Audiovisual Consultations. We'll let you hear from our man, Tom McKay, as soon as I can find what I need to find. 
right now. Hi, this is Tom McKay with Audiovisual Consultations. Scientific data proves it. Size does matter. The bigger and wider your television is, the better. Football season is here, and the time is now to get your entire audio-video experience tuned up and ready. New flat screens, projection video, Dolby True HD surround, all the goodies at great prices and followed up with great service. So call us at 255-8678. That's 255-8678 or on the web at avconsultations.com. Yes, indeed. Shout out to AV Consultations and shout out to Olipop as well. If you haven't tried Olipop yet, you are missing out. It's great tasting soda that's actually good for you. Uh, who was it that tweeted at me yesterday saying that they were finally trying Olipop thanks to our recommendations here at Texas Sports Unfiltered? Hell yeah. Try to pull that one up right now as we're talking. Oh, it was our man Cooter who said he was on the Olipop train now. So, hey, you should be on it too, man. Great tasting soda that's actually good for you. Nine grams of fiber in every can. Only two to five grams of sugar in every can. Very few calories. There's stuff in there that helps with digestive health support and microbiome support as well. I don't know what that shit means. I just know (laughs) it tastes good and it's good for you. That's a rare combination these days. Something healthy that you're actually going to enjoy consuming uh, that's Olipop right there. They've got it at HEB, Walmart, Target, Costco, Whole Foods, wherever you go for uh, your groceries, you can get you some Olipop. Uh, Trey, around the Big 12, we might have to make this game one of our picks tomorrow just because of the line. Now, we usually focus on like ranked versus ranked matchups in college football when we're doing our picks for our season-long pick'em contest. Oklahoma State's a two-and-a-half-point favorite at UCF on Saturday. So, obviously, Texas and OSU are tied for first right now in the conference. And most people are assuming, obviously, things can change, right? Either team can slip up, and this would change that. But it sort of feels like we're on track for a Texas-OSU Big 12 championship, just the way this thing has gone to this point. Oklahoma State coming off of a win against a ranked Oklahoma team is only a a two-and-a-half-point favorite against a UCF team that has just one Big 12 win in its history. Of course, it's, it's history being this year. Uh, is this a trap game? I mean, clearly Vegas thinks it is. Are you worried that this will be a trap game for the Pokes at the Bounce House in Orlando on Saturday? Emotional letdowns following a huge victory like what they got over Oklahoma last weekend. Those are legitimate. And you and I also talk about this. Gosh, I feel like we have since we first started doing radio together. Whenever a line feels too good to be true, there's something you're not taking into account. And oftentimes, the other direction hits from the seemingly obvious. And because of that, I want to stay as far away from this game with our picks (laughs) as possible. Either that or I want you to pick first so I can just piggyback on whatever you go with. God, I'm with you, man. ridiculous that Oklahoma State is only two and a half point favorites. UCF is the second worst team in the Big 12 record-wise right now after another newcomer, Cincinnati. Yep. The ESPN FPI matchup predictor actually gives UCF a 51.4% chance to win this what? game. How weird is that? Yeah, what what are we not seeing here? I mean, it's it's the letdown spot. You just beat your biggest rival in your final ever matchup against said rival. And then you've got to go on the road and play somebody who record-wise is way inferior. Maybe there's the hangover right there, but God, Oklahoma State's won five in a row. Like, they've been one of the more impressive teams in all of Power Five. Forget just the Big 12 and all of Power Five college football 
It's not like they beat in cupcakes. Like they beat a K-State team that's ranked. They beat a Kansas team that's ranked. They beat an Oklahoma team that's ranked. They also went to Morgantown and beat a pretty solid West Virginia team that's got a winning record and is going to be going bowling this year. So it's not like, ah, they've just beaten up on a you know crappy part of their schedule. They have beaten really good teams, and they're only two-and-a-half-point favorites against a not-so-good team. So we have to talk about this with TCU, how they have a bad record against some bad conference opponents. It's kind of the reverse for UCF right now. Now that I'm looking at their schedule, BK, they started out with a loss at Kansas State. They lost to Baylor at home, which isn't a good one. That was a close game, though, 36-35. to 35. They lost at Kansas. They lost at OU. They lost to West Virginia at home. That wasn't really a close one either. And then they just beat Cincinnati this last weekend in a game that was entirely too close considering how bad Cincinnati sucks this year. So have they been very good in the conference record-wise? No, but they've also placed, played some tough opponents too. So I actually understand where this two-and-a-half-point line is coming from right now. Yeah, I mean, the, the only way I can explain it is just the letdown spot, right? But like you said, I'm terrified. Uh, my cousin is not touching this game for... Yeah, that, uh, that's the biggest reason. The letdown is the biggest reason. That and the fact that Vegas clearly knows something that we don't. UCF beat Cincinnati last week for their first conference win. Uh, UCF has lost two straight home games. They have not lost three straight home games since 2015. I mean, that's something that is uh, playing in the, the Vegas line right now. Also, Saturday is UCF's annual space game where the team wears a jersey inspired by the university's connection to the space program at Kennedy Space Center. Hmm. The Knights will be wearing a special blue jersey for the game. Is that why they're only two-and-a-half-point dogs? Because they're wearing a space uni? I do not know. Space sucks, dude. I, I hate space, man. You hate space, huh? Yeah, space is gay, honestly. Gay? I'm using that. Yeah, not a fan. All right. I'm out on that. Hey, Mr. Sorrell's in the room today. You're out on space. You're in space right now. You realize that, right? I guess we're all in space. Yeah. To an extent. So we're all gay? Hurling through space on this giant circular rock that we call Earth. Is it a rock? Yeah. You can pick it up and throw it at someone's car? Yeah, if you are if you have enough strength, you can. I'll work on that one. Uh, analysis of the TCU O-line asks Mr. Sorrell, not good. Not good. Like, K-State's offensive line was one of the best in the country, and the Texas defensive front was able to feast uh, TCU's O-line, not very good at all. They lost an All-American at guard. They lost an all-conference center. Uh, they've only got three guys back from their offense last year. Like they, they lost a lot from their offensive line, which was great last year, but they're not great this season. I think they're like 10th in the conference in terms of uh, pass-blocking success. Ooh. So this this should be a good day for this. Saturday should be a good day for... Baron Sorrell, for Ethan Burke, for Anthony Hill, and, uh, of course, the interior of the Texas defensive line, too. Like, that's... Texas has lost the battle of physicality to TCU a lot, right? Whether it was Gary Patterson for all of those years or Sonny Dykes last year, TCU was the more physical team. They won the line of scrimmage the last couple of seasons. Uh, and, hell, I mean, they held Bijan Robinson to fewer than 30 rushing yards in the game in Austin last year. So they were really, really good up front. But this is a different Texas team. This is a different TCU team. And the O-line for TCU is not very good. So hopefully, 
Texas does what it uh, did last week, and, and they have some success against the other purple team on Saturday. Keep this, keep this in mind with the Horn Frogs offensive line, too, because you're right. They're not very good. They lost some talent off of last year's team. Sonny Dykes realizes that, so he crafts his passing attack to get the ball out quickly to avoid his QB getting sacked over and over again. They've only given up 14 sacks on the year. While that is uh, obviously a little bit under two sacks per game, it could be a lot worse than that, just considering what the lack of talent is across the front right now. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And Hoover uh, Hoover will take some shots, man. He's got some of that Malik Murphy to him where, you know, sometimes he'll just they'll throw it up. He will throw it up. I think he's got some good arm talent. I think down the road he could be a very, very good quarterback. Hell, Chip and Zay had uh, TCU play-by-play man Brian Estridge on earlier this week, and he said he sees a little Andy Dalton in Josh Hoover. Now, Andy wow. Dalton, he brought up, I don't remember this, Andy Dalton as a freshman apparently sucked and turned the ball over a bunch, and then he turned into a great college quarterback who's obviously had a very, very good NFL career. So, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty high praise right now if Josh Hoover has the potential to ultimately be that. But this year, yeah, no, too many, uh, too many bad decisions taking too many shots and uh, Texas should be able to, to do some good things defensively against this guy. All right. Uh, other big 12 games of note this weekend. Is there anything of note? What about West Virginia at OU? Like, yeah. I guess at this point, Texas has to root for OU again, even though we never like doing that because no, we are talking about the CFP and resumes. Um, like it's clear. It's clear to me yeah. that, Oregon losing at Washington is being viewed as a better loss than Texas losing to Oklahoma. And, and they're right. It is like both teams lost in the final minute and Oregon lost a true road game at an undefeated team. That's ranked number five. Texas lost a neutral site game to a team that is now ranked number 17. I, I guess we want OU to stay in the top 25, right? So we hope they bounce back against the uh, couch burners. That's a good point. God, I hate being in this position of having to win games. I know, dude. Why, why didn't but, we just beat them? You're exactly right, though. Like, because the rationale, it's justifiable, honestly. The rationale is justifiable because they're looking at who you lose to and where that team is right now versus where that team was in that moment. That has to be taken into consideration. It does. And so we need, just like we need Alabama to continue winning games, we need Oklahoma to continue winning games and climb back up the ranks, too. Get it together, Oklahoma. Ah, it's so annoying, though. It is so annoying. Having they should to... be able to handle business their last three games. I, I realize West Virginia has surprised a lot of people, me included, by the way. I was shitting on Neil Brown and his seemingly uh, him seemingly not giving a, a single shit at uh, Big 12 Media Days this year. But he has them bowl eligible, as you just mentioned. But... They're at BYU, and they play TCU at home to end the season. That TCU game in Norman, of course. So Oklahoma should finish the year 3-0, and even after uh, this rough stretch that saw them, that has seen them lose two straight. And there was a chance that they could have lost that third one to uh, UCF, too. Yeah, they should have finished the year 6-0 and after that Texas game, and here they are 1-2 and in their second half of the season. So yeah. we'll see if they can get things back on track. You'd think they'd be extra motivated and really pissed off after what's gone on the last two weeks, uh, yeah, maybe maybe West Virginia could be in trouble. But both of those teams still in the thick of things in the Big 12 race. Both of those teams a game back at four and two in this conference right now. Uh, Jake, look, I understand where you're coming from. Don't over- overthink it. Oh, you can eat a dick. <laughs> I get it. 
But I also recognize that if Washington wins out but loses to Oregon, Oregon wins out, including the Pac-12 championship game. Two Pac-12 teams are getting over a Texas team, are getting in over a Texas team that wins out and does win a Big 12 championship, I have a feeling. Mm. You're saying, yeah, if if Oregon runs the table and or if Washington runs the table, I guess they yeah. both can't run the table because they're going to have to play each other again. But if it's one loss Washington or one loss Oregon, you think they would get in over one loss Texas? They take them both and you will likely be taking the Big Ten champion and and most likely taking the SEC champion too. Oh, there's not there's not going to be two Pac-12 teams. It'll be one or the other that gets I, in. I, I think both might get in. What? They both have decent end-of-season schedules, and the Pac-12 has been the best conference this year. So strength of schedule-wise, I think once Oregon finishes up their last three games, I believe, in the regular season, and if they play Washington again and win that game, we'll see an increase in their strength of schedule enough that that would help catapult them into a playoff over a one-loss Texas team. Yeah, I like there are scenarios out there where both could get in, but I don't think one loss Pac-12 championship loser, which I guess would have to be Washington, right? Because if Oregon loses the Pac-12 title, that'll be their second loss and, and they'll be out. I don't think uh, one loss Pac-12 championship game loser will get in over one loss Big 12 champion Texas. I don't think Washington has a, uh, a pretty tough end of year schedule that would boost their resume that much more if they get through all three of these games. And look, I realize Washington State has fallen off over the last handful of weeks, but Versus number 18, Utah this weekend at number 12, Oregon State. And then that rivalry game with Washington State, which is in Seattle. I mean, that, again, it boosts things that much more and, and gives a sort of, gosh, I'm forgetting what the uh, SEC year was. Maybe it was Georgia and Alabama and Georgia won the SEC championship game, but Alabama still got in two years ago. It just has has a feel of something along those lines. Mm-hmm. I have a bad feeling. I hope I'm wrong about that. I hope that. Texas runs the table, wins the Big 12 championship, and they get in over Oregon or Washington. Uh, or I guess if Oregon wins the Pac-12 championship, I hope they get in over Washington. I, I just don't know if that's going to happen, though, because they've played uh, in such a bat- down Big 12 this year. I think that ultimately that would hurt them in a scenario where you're staring at uh, a handful of other teams that also have one loss and have a conference title game under their belt, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Big 12's not as bad as as people thought it was there's five teams in the top 25 so hopefully that would help and honestly and texas has to win i know we're going to be idiots and everyone's going to be coming on youtube in our coda text line next week if texas loses the tcu like you guys were talking about the playoff what are you doing this was never a playoff they're very much in the mix for the playoff and and you should be thinking playoff and it's not our job to only focus on tcu that's the players jobs we we as fans can have some fun with these hypothetical scenarios and talk about what could be for this team. Um, I think back to the very first playoff, Trey, where Ohio State got in over Baylor and TCU. And to me, it was because Ohio State's Ohio State and Baylor and TCU or Baylor and TCU from a brand standpoint. Like TCU and Baylor were both ranked ahead of Ohio State the whole year. And, well, number one, TCU and Baylor got punished because they didn't win their conference championship game because there was no conference championship game. Way to go, Bullsby, you freaking idiot. Uh, but also, I think brand had something to do with it. Yeah. Like, I, I I would just, I could see Texas because it's Texas. I know Washington's not Baylor or TCU. They've got a little bit more cachet and more history than those two teams do. But I just, I would have a hard time believing in the scenario that you laid out that 
Washington would be in over Texas for a lot of reasons, but that one I think uh, I think is a part of it. Gosh, I, I, I don't know. It'll. I hope it doesn't play out that way. Yeah. So we don't yeah, have yeah, to. Yeah. Slide it. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. But you're right, right about Texas having a bigger brand than either of those other two schools, even if uh, both schools are headed to the Big Ten next year. Oh, yeah, they are headed to the Big Ten next year. God, that's going to be weird. That's going to take a long time to get used to, isn't it? I don't know if I'm ever going to get used to it. I may still, much like with Town Lake versus Ladybird Lake, I may just refer to Oregon, Washington, UCLA, and USC as Pac-12 schools for the rest of their existence. They're, they're just like Notre Dame. They're just playing like all the teams in one conference, even though they're not in that conference. One of those deals. Bunch of West Coast Notre Dames is what they are. God, what a mess. What a mess. College sports is weird. All right, shout out to Covert Bee Cave. Trey and Bucky will handle the pregame live from Covert Bee Cave this Saturday, getting you set for Texas and TCU. Uh, you don't have to wait for Saturday, though. You can go today. You can go tomorrow if you're looking for a newer pre-owned car, truck, or SUV. They've got it for you at Covert. Their selection is second to none. They've got seven different brands, three dealerships on site at Covert Bee Cave. Yeah, it's a three-in-one. We all like value. Well, you're getting three dealerships for uh, the time it takes to just drive to one. Don't go all over the city looking for a new car. Just go to Covert Bee Cave. Their selection is great. The service is second to none. And uh, what do they say? Nobody beats a Covert deal. Not now, not ever. That tells you everything you need to know about their prices, too. CovertBeeCave.com for more info. Shout out to our friends at Covert Beecave. Uh, Trey, we didn't have our pre-show discussion today, so we're kind of all over the place. Any NFL stuff? We can do NFL midseason awards. We can preview this incredibly tantalizing Thursday night football matchup tonight between Carolina and Chicago. Uh, with Justin Fields sidelined once again, which... Oh. Uh, we could talk about the uh, Ron Washington getting back in business as a major league manager, getting hired by the Angels yesterday. Hide your blow and your female Japanese translators. I guess Shohei Otani is not sticking with the Angels next year. <laughs> uh, you think that's the reason he's going to leave because of Wash's history? Yeah, there's more. There's more than that. I I, I hate making these jokes about Wash because Wash struck me as. Uh, a player's manager, a guy that uh, everybody loved, but I think he was also not uh, not the best in-game tactician, let's just say, BK. No. Uh, let, let's talk in NFL, and can we start with your thoughts on the Cowboys' loss to Philly last weekend? Because I know you've probably talked about it with Bucky and from 11 to noon over the last few days. You and I haven't talked about this game at all. Like, you hate to talk about silver lining losses, but for me as somebody who hates the Cowboys and wants to see them lose, it was a little bit concerning for me to see them not just in that game, but to have a chance to win it at the end. And oh, by the way, Dak Prescott is playing some of the best ball of his career right now too. You have to ask questions about Tony Pollard and whether it's time for him to start losing carries. Clearly he's not back to the player that he was before suffering that injury at the end of last season. And uh, the defense, they obviously uh, still have some very nice pieces, and ultimately you do have faith for them. That Philly offense also has a ton of weapons, too, to make it difficult for them. No silver lining because it's not like the Cowboys haven't been close in the playoff games that they've lost against good teams or just the regular season games that they've lost against good teams. Now, I know what happened in San Francisco on Sunday Night Football back in Week 5. That was a beatdown. 
But like, they, it's to me, it's obvious the Cowboys are not far away from Philadelphia or San Francisco or any of the other top teams in football. The problem is, whenever they get into a close game against one of those teams, they come up short. So they've they've done that, and like the two playoff games to San Francisco, those were one possession games. It's like the Cowboys were clearly close. It's not like they were massively overmatched, but they just couldn't find a way to make the plays in the fourth quarter to give them the win. The Cowboys were clearly the better team in the fourth quarter. They dominated that fourth quarter. They couldn't score. They couldn't score, right? Like, I think they had 160 yards in the fourth quarter, and Philadelphia had like 10. Okay, great. They got turned over on downs twice in the red zone, and they lost the game by five points. Like, there's no silver lining. I don't think that's me just being a cocky, arrogant Cowboys fan thinking the team should be. No, that's just like they've been here. They've won 12 games in each of the last two seasons. They're going to win double-digit games again. Like, they're a good football team. I knew that before Sunday. I knew that leaving Sunday. But to be a great team, you've got to prove that you can beat other great teams, number one. And number two, you've got to showcase the ability to win close games like that. And just it's it's not Mike McCarthy only. This was the problem with Jason Garrett, too. The Cowboys just couldn't win those types of playoff-type games or obviously games in the playoffs that uh, – they need to win to get to the NFC championship game. So, um, yeah, look, the Cowboys played well. Defense held up, especially in the second half. And considering the injuries on that side of the football, yeah, there are some positives you could definitely take from the game on Sunday. But ultimately, it's same you-know-what different year if you're a Cowboys fan. It's just we're, we're living in this endless loop right here. It's the end of inception where that dreidel thing is spinning nonstop until the end of time. That's, that's what I feel like right now with being a Cowboys fan. It had to have make you made you cringe a little bit to see Mike McCarthy when asked about using Brandon Cooks a little bit more, tell reporters that he's not a fantasy football player. Yeah, no shit, dumbass. But your responsibility is to find other reliable receivers because as great as CeeDee Lamb is and as much as he can do, you may still need a little bit more firepower there uh, in that receiving core. And then the question I have, based on the uh, the Tony Pollard issue right now, do you think we see more out of Rico Dowdle going forward, at least until Pollard can get his legs back underneath him? Because Dowdle's looked pretty good in limited opportunities this year. Yeah, I do. I mean, it was weird because Dowdle only got two carries. The Cowboys only ran it 21 times as a team, right? I mean, they it was kind of like uh, what K-State should have done yeah. against the Longhorns last weekend, where it's like, we're, we're not really doing much running the football. Maybe we should throw it more. Thankfully for Texas, it took K-State a long time for them to realize that. Uh, so the Cowboys, I mean, they they threw it 44 times. They ran it 21, and Dak Prescott had six of those runs. So there were not a lot of traditional running back runs in that game. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Dowdle's been fine. I don't, I don't think he's great. But, yeah, like you said, Tony Pollard's clearly not the same guy that he was. So the Cowboys had a chance at the deadline to maybe go get Derrick Henry or go bring in somebody who could uh, help that backfield, and they opted not to do it. So I don't think we'll ever get to the point where Dowdle is – the number one running back on this team or getting the majority of carries for the Cowboys, but I wouldn't hate it at all seeing more of him because the Cowboys have to find a way to get the ground game going. Like you're right. Dak Prescott is playing some good football. He was not the problem on Sunday. Uh, Even Stephen A. Smith, the biggest Dak hater in the world. And I hate myself that I know this, but this popped up on Twitter. Even Stephen A. Smith wasn't blaming Dak and that guy, Dak could throw for 600 yards and eight touchdowns, but if he throws one interception, Stephen A is normally the guy who's like, he threw that one pick, he sucks. Mahomes wouldn't have thrown that pick. Like, even Stephen A is like, no, Dak's not the problem right now. Uh, 
They've got to be able to run the football, though. Like, any team has to have some semblance of a running game. Hell, Mahomes, like Isaiah Pacheco, was really good in the playoffs last year. They, they needed some semblance of a running game to help win the Super Bowl. You cannot be one-dimensional in this league going up against these defenses. They've got to find a way to figure something out back there. It's an interesting weekend on the NFL slate, not the Dallas-New York Giants game, where you guys get to go up against Danny DeVito's son, who is uh, starting, what, his uh, his first ever start at the NFL level. Surprising number of rookies starting games this year for NFL teams. Yep, I bashed you a couple weeks ago because you, were, you said something like, oh, it feels like there are more uh, quarterbacks getting hurt this year than in years past. And I think since I'm like, no, you're wrong, there have been like 18 quarterbacks get hurt. So <laughs> good, good job on your part speaking things into existence and bad job by me not knowing what the hell I'm talking about. Sometimes a blind squirrel, what's the saying that uh, Nikola Tesla said back in the day? Sometimes a blind squirrel. Finds that nut, cracks that nut open, just eats that nut up. That's uh, that's what happened there. Yep. The uh, the quarterback thing from a few weeks ago. Exactly what the Tesla cars say, I believe. Yes, that's the first thing they say when you open the doors. But <laughs> as far as the NFL weekend is concerned, Dallas should take care of business handily over a, uh, a New York Giants team that just lost Daniel Jones for the year to an ACL injury. Tough luck for Daniel Jones. Uh, the most compelling matchups this weekend... How about the Houston Texans being among the most compelling matchups? Now, technically, it's not a matchup between two teams with winning records because the Texans are at four and four right now. But I'm excited to watch Houston and Cincinnati on Sunday. I mean, that should be a fairly high scoring affair. And, you know, I, I'm not sure what the line is right now, but I give the Texans a decent chance to win this game. Bengals a seven point home favorite right okay. now. Uh, I'm kind of mad. Like the NFL schedule came out while I was doing radio in Houston and I was like, man, you, the Texans should have a primetime game. Like, just for the chance that C.J. Stroud is something. I, I honestly thought maybe the Carolina game, because it's number one versus number two. Like, maybe that's the primetime. Like, put the Texans once in primetime. Kind of wish the Texans and Bengals were in primetime. Because C.J. Stroud is must-see TV right now. And obviously, you've got the flex scheduling. So, if Stroud keeps playing well and the Texans stay in the mix for a playoff spot, how weird is that to say, then, uh, then they'll get their chances. But... Yeah, this is an intriguing one. I mean, C.J. Stroud is coming off of the best rookie quarterback performance in the history of the NFL. And he's going up against a Cincinnati team that has figured it out, right? Bengals started one and three. Are the Bengals done? What's up with Joe Burrow's calf? Are they in trouble? And Cincinnati's won four in a row, and they look very much like the team that they've been the last few years. So yeah. a chance for the Texans, man. Like, I, I'd pick Cincinnati to win this game. I'd probably pick them to cover, too. Mm. Although this is clearly a much better Texans team than uh, what we've had the last three years. But uh, this is a test, man. If you go to Cincinnati, even if you don't win, if you just keep this damn thing close, then you send a message like, no, we've, we've got something special with D'Amico. We've got something special with CJ. And, uh, hey, enjoy enjoy your dominance of us right now, AFC teams, but we're coming. We're coming. That's the type of message the Texans can send. Obviously, if they go into the jungle and win this game, then it's, hey, we might need to start talking about the Texans being a playoff team right here and right now. I didn't think there would be a week in the 2023 season where we would be considering a Texans game, but not a Cowboys game with our weekly picks. But I think that's exactly what needs to happen tomorrow. Yeah. Do we want to make Bears Panthers one of our weekly picks? Fuck no. <laughs> God, man. I mean, I, I, I'm making plans for tonight. I, like, I, I'm doing something so I don't have to be at home watching this game, please. <laughs> 
it's not that big of a deal when I tell people I'm not watching a Thursday night game. They're like, yeah, that's because you're not dedicated enough to your job to watch every football game that's on during the season. When you're not watching a football game on during the season, especially uh, one of the uh, single NFL games on on a given night, that tells you just how bad of a matchup is. But unfortunately, this is not good. And it's even less compelling with Justin Fields out for at least one more week. Uh, that Bajant cat, he's shown some okay things here and there, but he's also still a rookie who yeah. sucks like a rookie at times too. And speaking of sucking as a rookie, Bryce Young has not been good recently, including throwing those two pick sixes in last weekend's loss. Yeah, Bryce Young played decently well against the Texans. Obviously, they they beat the Texans, but uh, that's the only win for Carolina. They're awful. And, and the bad news for Carolina is not only did they draft the wrong quarterback with the number one pick, uh, they don't have their first round pick next year because they traded that to Chicago to go get Bryce Young. Oh, yeah, that's right. Good call. Right now, I think the Bears would have like picks two and three in the draft because the Bears still suck. They always have and they always will. And that will never change. I'm amazed how many people think the Bears are ever going to be good at football. It'll never happen. Uh, but yeah, the Bears. Uh, yeah, I mean, this this is like lose lose for the Panthers here. So they, they can they can keep losing and they don't get their pick. And if they win, well, what, what does that do? They're awful. Yeah, uh, Stevie, good call, by the way. Dante Foreman and Roshan Johnson both on the Bears. Dante, another one of those years where he gets opportunities at running back, and it's hard to take him out because he shows that he is so productive to that position. And Roshan Johnson, I feel like he wasn't used a ton in last weekend's game. I think it was the second week back from missing a couple of games due to concussion. His first game back, it, they split carries okay. I, I don't know if there's another injury issue there or something else going on or just simply the fact that Dante Foreman has uh, been such a, a positive force for them at running back. But I'd like to see them start to use Roshan a little bit more at running back, even at the expense of uh, Foreman getting some carries. And I'd like to see them on a different team so they don't have to play in Chicago anymore. That too. Just because I actually like those dudes. It's not their fault the Bears suck. Bears suck because the Bears suck. Um, you know what the Sunday night game is this weekend? I mean, I, I can't, I cannot effing believe that this is happening again, dude. Oh, God. The Jets and the Raiders. Didn't we, didn't this game happen last week and two weeks ago? I mean, haven't these teams played? Or no, they've just both been in prime time like five times this year and they're getting their ass kicked every time. I understand the Jets being scheduled for prime time. Who are the ad wizards who thought that the Raiders would be a compelling enough story to end up in all of these different national slots? What is this? Zach Wilson against AIDS O'Connell or Aiden O'Connell? Oof. That's not an abbreviation for Aiden, is it? You, you can't call him AIDS. Show the man some respect. HIV O'Connell, okay? He's got AIDS. <laughs> Thank you, Donald Sterling. Uh, yeah, like, God. You're right. Before the year, the Jets, Rogers, you thought, whatever. They really should have flex scheduling right now, though. Like, yeah, my God, they should have flexed. When Rogers got hurt in the middle of that Buffalo game, they should have somehow found a way to not play that game on Monday night. Just I love, the Jets won that. That was entertaining. They had a walk-off punt return. So that game was fine. But every other game that the Jets had in prime time should have been flexed out immediately. Instead, we're just we watched them on Monday night last week, and now we're watching them on Sunday night this week. Lord help us all. Here's how bad Zach Wilson has been this year, BK. The LA Rams just went out and signed Carson Wentz. 
what, a couple of days ago, because yeah. Matt Stafford may be missing extended time with a thumb injury. There were people suggesting that the Jets screwed up and missed out by not signing Carson Wentz to have him come in and play quarterback for them. And look, I don't know. Is that a sort of pick your poison situation? Are we sure Carson Wentz is that much better than Zach Wilson? Maybe, but there's also a good chance that he's not. Carson Wentz fucking sucks. There's a reason why he wasn't on our roster this year. All the way up to this point where the Rams are desperate enough because of injuries that they're actually having to bring him aboard. There's much better options than Carson Wentz who aren't currently playing right now. Like, I don't understand. Or maybe they made the call to Case McCoy's agent or a Colt McCoy's agent. Yeah, definitely not Case McCoy's agent. <laughs> Colt McCoy's agent and just asked, hey, any chance that he would come here? we got a good group. And we would love to have his services. And maybe he told them no because he's just living that comfortable life in Arizona right now. But there are plenty of guys sitting at home right now, not named Carson Wentz, who would be a much better option than Carson Wentz. I actually don't understand why the Rams brought him in like they did. I don't either. We know what Carson Wentz is at this point, right? I mean, my God. The three primetime games in the NFL before we get to where we at in society. Panthers-Bears tonight. Jets Raiders Sunday, Broncos Bills Monday. I mean, yeah, come on, Goodell, do us something better than that, please. Uh, quick word greatblueheronfurniture.com. If you're looking for the best furniture in the world, go check them out at greatblueheronfurniture.com. The best looking, the most comfortable, the most well built furniture anywhere in the world can be found right there at greatblueheronfurniture.com. There's a promo code, it's hook'em. You do that at checkout. You do that. You type that in at checkout, and you're going to get 15% off your purchase from greatblueheronfurniture.com. Also, I'll throw in a last stand hat. That's right. If you uh, send me a picture of you buying a piece from greatblueheronfurniture.com, I'll throw in a free last stand hat on top of that. Greatblueheronfurniture.com. Check them out. All right, Trey, I see you snacking on some food, so we'll hit the uh, recorded spot from our friends at Pest Wranglers today. Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers. What are you doing? I'm making a silly commercial like other companies so people will remember our name. But we're not like other companies. Anyone could see that from our five-star reviews. But how will people remember Pest Wranglers? Well, once they try us, they'll never forget that we are the most effective, reliable, and affordable pest control company. I guess you're right. Pest Wranglers is the best at pest control, wildlife management, termite pest control. Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers. What are you doing? Hey, it kind of Pest Wranglers, 512-670-7808, or find us on the web at pestwranglers.com. Where are we at in society today? That's right. It is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will give you a story that provides a sense of optimism that has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out. I'm not sure what today is, BK, other than completely vile. So this isn't necessarily a sign that uh, it's all coming to an end, but it is a sign that uh, porn stars aren't the brightest bulbs in the box. Headline, I hope you and Bucky didn't talk about this one earlier. I don't think so. Headline, porn stars pet python bites partner's penis in horror scene. Quote, there was blood everywhere. Oh, I did see this. And there are not very many stories in the world that I won't click on, right? Because I don't get grossed out by much. I don't get freaked out by much. I usually want more information when I see a headline like that. But this one, I couldn't even click on, man. I, 
I wanted no further details, but here you are being the great friend that you always have been here to provide them for me. Thank you very much. It's the least I can do as a friend. An Australian porn star named Danny DeBello is. Oh, that guy's starting a quarterback for the Giants this week. He's in the Jersey Mike's commercials too, right? He's apparently got a hell of a ping pong trick in the locker room. Danny DeBello (laughs) is opening up to her followers after a traumatic recent incident where her giant pet snake attacked a male scene partner in the privates. Quote, I want to introduce you to Betty. She is my Centralian carpet python. That's not innuendo. She's about eight feet long. I've never had an issue with her biting or anything until today. The porn star said with the snake wrapped around her neck. DeBello and a pal had just filmed some steamy content together when things reportedly went from sexy to scary. Quote, so earlier I had a friend over and we shot a video. Once we were finished doing that, he jumped into the shower, but he mentioned that he wanted to hold my pet snake afterwards. The actress revealed once again, that not being innuendo. After coming out of the shower, DeBello placed the snake around her unwitting friend's neck and headed to the bathroom to get washed up. She turned to walk away to leave the room, but was suddenly startled by a massive scream. I turned around and saw that Betty is holding on to my partner's privates and he tried to pull her off of it. After a few minutes, we got her off, not innuendo, and I put her back into the enclosure and there was blood everywhere, so we cleaned all that up. After pulling the snake off of his penis, she checked to make sure that there were, quote, no little teeth left in it because pythons sometimes leave their teeth in things after biting them. Her commenters expressed their shock in the comments section. Quote, the stuff of nightmares. Ouch, I hope he's all right, and I hope Betty is all right, too. Betty's fine, you stupid social media user. You hope the snake is okay, too? Just almost snake bit a guy's the on, on this guy's garden snake. <laughs> oh, my God. You said a couple of minutes? You said it took them a couple of minutes for them to get the snake off? Yeah. See, this, so she was just... Clamped down? Stayed sunk in. Oh, no. This isn't the first time that we have a story of a snake biting a man in his snake. In 2001, a 47-year-old Dutch man had to undergo reconstructive surgery on his penis after a cobra bit his manhood during a safari trip in South Africa, causing the penis to all but rot off. And in 2020, a Thai teen... A Thai teen was hospitalized after a snake bit his penis while the youngster watched uh, smartphone videos in the toilet. This is by far the worst one. A teenager who's just sitting there on the toilet watching TikTok or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever else. And all of a sudden, I remember this story. A snake comes up from the water within the toilet and bites him on his penis. Mm. And he lost it? Uh, he was hospitalized. It does not say whether he lost it or not. So this guy in this new story is is fine. Just blood everywhere, but it's still attached, and it still works, and he's still alive? I think it's TBD. Oh. Now, would you like to see... 
Talk about hardcore threesomes, man. God bless. Wow. I, I haven't found this in the search bar. Hmm. Now, would you like to see Danny DeBello? Is that the girl or the guy? The I sure as hell don't want to see any pictures of this dude, man. That's yeah, it's the girl. Uh, yeah. Hold on, I've got to find it here. By the uh, way, I've got I've got a rule. Maybe I'll save the rule until we see what uh, Devito looks like. No, what's what's your rule? Uh, I don't care how big the rack is. I do not like to hook up with women who have reptiles as pets. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm out on that. That's especially a snake. Like I, I don't trust anybody with a snake as a pet, girl or guy. But I, I have I, I've got some questions. If you've got a reptile as a pet. That's that's not my thing. You do you, of course. I'm not telling you to get rid of it. I'm just going to get rid of myself. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're hooking up with one of your victims at her place and she has a pet and she's way too comfortable with the pet, essentially serving as the cuck in the corner as things are happening? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I wasn't ever crazy about that one in my single days. What about on the bed? I've dealt with on the bed before. That's like a... That's a mood killer right there. Yeah. Like, I've got to say something like, can you please get the dog out of the, off the bed? But I'm going to say it in that Larry David sort of way where it's going to completely ruin the mood. You wouldn't say it. You'd just kick the damn dog off the bed, knowing you. I wouldn't kick the dog off the bed. I'd, no, I wouldn't kick her off the bed either. I'm not going uh, <laughs> to feign physical violence here to, to make a point. But uh, no, I, I would say so. I would be like, can we please get the dog off the bed? This is distracting. Hmm. I don't, want, uh, I don't want to. I don't want Fido touching me while while you and I are, are making things happen here. Oh, do you have a picture? There we go. There's Danny DeBello. Yeah, we have a picture. Oh, there's the python. Here's the oh, python. Yeah. No, explaining that the python bit her partner's penis. No, and she's an adult film star. Adult film star. Yeah, they're, they're, I won't be searching Danny DeVito anytime soon. Well, I will search Danny DeVito and in, in the uh, what y'all what's the channel that y'all love so much? Porn Porn Tube, uh, the Hub, Pornhub. There we go, Pornhub. Uh, I I will search Danny DeVito. I will not be searching Danny DeBello. Oh man, dude, that's that's a nightmare that I did not know I had. Nightmare unlocked. Me having a snake bite that. Mm. I, 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 I just think you've, you've kind of brought that upon yourself when you're asking yeah. completely naked to have a snake wrapped around you. Yeah. I have zero interest in, in that, you know, like they have that at the zoo or the circus or like on a cruise ship, you know, people have that snake, ah, hold the snake, you know, uh, you can put the snake on your shoulders. It's fine. Hell no. I'm not even scared of snakes. I just don't want a giant Python anywhere close to me, dude. That's stupid. It's natural selection right there. If uh, something happens to you, you deserve it. Would you uh, hold a tarantula? Hold a tarantula? Probably not. Tarantulas don't bite, though. Oh, they don't? No. No. That's I, that's the urban legend, anyhow. <laughs> oh, well, then no. I don't, I don't trust urban or rural legends. I don't <laughs> discriminate on those. Oh, man, we are out of time, which means it's time for Chip Brown. And Zay Collier. Boys, how we doing? What up, fellas? Yo, it's popping. Did y'all hear the uh, the story Trey brought up for where of we course. had him? Of course we heard it. Of course we heard it. <laughs> Don't sound too excited, Chip. I mean, 
what guy doesn't want to hear about a snake ripping apart his penis? Mm. That's yeah. Uh, yeah, at least the python didn't lose any teeth in the penis, which is something that happens when pythons bite into things. Oh no. Well they leave a they leave a reminder, they leave a little uh parting gift. Yeah, it's like a <laughs> A stinging bee losing its stinger, although the python doesn't die like a bee does afterwards. Just keeps on keeping on. Keeps on keeping on. Just keeps on being a python, baby. Mm. Hey, well done to you, Chip, and the team at Horns 24-7, because you guys were dropping all sort of crumbs that uh, maybe Quinn Ewers is going to actually be good to go on Saturday. And obviously we get the official announcement today that Quinn is going to be back. How you feeling? The the line in Vegas sure is feeling robust. Oh, yeah. That thing's oh, yeah. jumped up two and a half points since Steve Sarkeesian uh, announced at about eh, 11.15. Were you on that Zoom presser, Chip? Yes. Yep, Sark fired his ass up. Chip wanted to ask some negative-ass questions, and Sark... Snap That's right. right back at his ass. I got right up in him on that pass defense being so weak. Talked about Houston <laughs> ripping him for three touchdown passes. K-State ripping him for four touchdowns. He's like, how many rushing yards they get? <laughs> I said, not much. But back to the pass defense that's allowed these teams to make close games out of three score leads. Uh, oh. But he came around. I'm gonna. I'll. I'll play the audio for uh, for our listeners here. It's not Can't like wait. you asked an unfair question there. Oh my God! I'm getting ripped by former players for not like someone needs to ask him about this pass defense. It's gonna cost us. I was like, okay, I'm yeah. here on Thursday. Ah, thank you for being you, Chip. Hey, this is a great question you asked. Thank you. I am a rhinoceros. My skin, I've been around this beat for so long. I'm I'm immune. You cannot hurt my feelings. I've been divorced. I mean, I've <laughs> You got like horns on the back of your shirt or something? What's... Oh man. I mean, you don't know. No. You don't know what I've been through. So I'm just like, hey, fire away. Awesome. In the last two minutes, I've learned that. Chip is a rhinoceros who was inside Steve Sarkeesian a little bit earlier. That would hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. Longhorns fans rejoice. Kellner, you you feeling good? Everything's going your way. You got Trey Elling. Have you given him his seven grand yet? Oh, yeah. I have the ticket. I'm going to be in Vegas Actually, we'll be coming back from Vegas this time next week. But I'm going to be in Vegas next Tuesday, so I'll be cashing out probably Tuesday. I'm not going to wait until Wednesday to uh, to get this ticket out of my pocket, and then go immediately to the bank to uh, deposit the uh, the cash because they don't cut you a check. They apparently give it all in hundreds, Oof. which is yeah. pretty dangerous, especially because yeah, I'm going to Old Vegas to uh, to cash this ticket out. So you have to go there to cash in the ticket. There's no Venmo. No scanning. You gotta. You can Venmo me seven grand if he wants. I'll I'll allow that. Yeah, you a better man than me, BK, because I would have lost the ticket. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm mad. I'm mad at myself for finding it. 
Stupid. Oh, Zay, where you get that new chain from? Oh, you know, <laughs> just around the way. Just around yeah. the way. Shoot. All right. This is give me that chain. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> we'll be locked in, fellas. Y'all have a great show. Appreciate All you. All right. Dog. Appreciate you, dogs. Oh, yeah. The laser lights.